Hello, and welcome to the Mastermind Site Podcast. But hold on, this isn't just the Mastermind Site Podcast. This is a brand new show, Football Masterminds. I am Reese Desmond, one of the three football masterminds on this show. And I am joined here today by two exceptional individuals with so much footballing knowledge. Football masterminds, of course. I am here, first up, with the Bruno Fernandez to my penalty kick. Here is Russell Toe. Barcelona, Copa del Rey against Sevilla on Wednesday. It was absolutely crazy. Um, I think Barcelona right now, we're actually going to win the Copa del Rey final. And then... I, yeah, Madrid Derby today they drew, so I'm pretty hopeful that they can win the La Liga soon. Liverpool, on the other hand, I mean, it's not surprising. They ah, six home losses in a row, but I don't really want to talk about that right now. <laughs> Obviously, Barcelona are doing very well. I'm sure you're happy about that. But yes, we're going to talk more about Liverpool and their struggles this season. But first up, we cannot go on without first introducing the Gareth Bale to my man bun. Here is Costi. What's up, guys? How's it going? Pretty pumped to get the second uh, episode going here. Excited to talk about uh, the Champions League ahead. That's one of the big things we're talking about today. And uh, sad to talk about the Liverpool loss. It's one of those days where um, I let my team ruin my weekend. So I'm going to start off with a very low vibe. And then as soon as we start talking about some cool stuff, you can see the energy go up. Yeah, I don't think it's just low vibes. I think it's chill vibes. We got a very chill vibe going on so far here. And I, of course, am chill right now because I am partially a Manchester United fan on a good day, of course. Manchester United completely outclassed Manchester City today. It was a classic Solskjaer performance. Loads of counterattacking, loads of pressing, coming out on top over Guardiola yet again. Costi, what were your big takeaways from the match? He does really well against City. Eh? He's, he's like his top six record, except for City, is is not the best. But then he comes up against City, and then he pumps up the players with some sort of juice. I'm pretty sure <laughs> some Manchester juice, and they just go wild. They defend for their lives. Harry Maguire becomes uh, Virgil Van Dyke for everyone who's listening out there. Yes, Van Dyke is better than Maguire. Please at me. Um, and uh, City, Kevin Dubrano had probably the worst game he's had in this season. Um, he was letting all his passes go everywhere except for feet. Um, I think uh, Gundogan was probably their best player. The goals that they scored is honestly... Both of, both the goals I would say is is a lot to do with uh, with how their left back Luke Shaw is playing these days. So I think overall um, United played really well. They dug in deep. They defended well. Luke Shaw has is having is he's Carlos right now. He's Roberto Carlos. That's no no other way to describe his performance. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was definitely a disappointing Manchester City performance. I do kind of disagree that De Bruyne wasn't on his game. Um, I think it's a little bit over exaggerated in the commentary of it so far that he wasn't really having a good performance i think he was just trying to do a bit too much trying to switch play a bit too often uh manchester city couldn't really break down on the left side manchester united's right side aaron wan bissaka and scott mctominay in particular defended excellently well and sterling i think sterling had one of his worst games i've ever seen from him i thought he was absolutely just woeful and could not do anything up against wan bissaka up against scott mctominay and then just classic manchester united just counter-attacking at their best and 
it was a uh, really fun to see Martial, Rashford, James with their speed and dynamism up and down the wings, getting loads of energy in behind the likes of Jao Kinsella, who's often caught out of position. So as a Manchester United fan, it was definitely a fun watch. I'm curious to know if you have any strong opinions on whether or not Dean Henderson should stay in net after this performance. Yeah, I think he should. I mean, the stats show, right? And I think the Gea have ne- has a knack of like letting in poor goals. Um, I know like a lot of pundits out there have also criticized the Gea. Dean Henderson, he's... He's fresh. He's new to the squad. You know, he he brings that flavor into the team, right? So I, I do agree. I, I think that Manchester United should definitely keep him in. And also after the game, right? 2-0 against Man City. I mean, uh, we've seen De Gea. He played really well in the 2013 to maybe 16 seasons where he was one of the top goalkeepers in the world. And then after that, it's kind of just gone sort of either downhill or very plateaued since then, right? It's... Uh, I don't think he's the best with uh, his feet. So he's one of those keepers where you could trust him to clear the ball when necessary, but you can't expect him to be too calm under pressure, right? And then he has those weird, odd mistakes that honestly we would associate with uh, like Simon Mignolet or something where it just slips through his hands and it's just very awkward because for a couple of seasons there, he was being compared to your Manuel Neuer's, right? So it's kind of weird to say that he's... Uh, still at the level. So, I mean, Dean Henderson, from what I've seen of him, he seems pretty pretty solid, uh, except for the fact that he's uh, he might, again, his footwork, I am not completely sure on, but he's pretty solid uh, when it comes to shot stopping. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Dean Henderson this season. He, I did a, an article on saves per goal this season, and Dean Henderson is one of the very, very top of the list, even up there with Nick Pope and Emiliano Martinez. David De Gea, on the other hand, was at the bottom of the list, and he's had a really bad past couple of seasons so i i don't think it will happen this season but i do think it's coming soon where dean henderson is going to edge out De Gea in the long run i was a positive performance from him and it was a positive performance from all of his manchester united teammates really luke shaw was really good bruno fernandez has often been criticized in some of the big games of not really stepping up to the plate but i thought he was excellent particularly in those moments of helping united break on the counter and break free of sort of like Rodri's initial press and switch play to shot on the left side. Our big topic question that we got in related to this match as well from Sakadir17, is Bruno Fernandes the most transformative transfer in the Premier League ever? Wait, what? <laughs> Go off, Russell. We're waiting for this. We've been waiting for this all day. <laughs> is Bruno Fernandes the most transformative transfer in yes. Premier League ever? Did I get it right? <laughs> Oh, he might be. He might be. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he might be up there. He might be top five, Russell. What? Okay, let me just give you a few names right on top of my head. Okay, Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. Thierry Henry to Arsenal. Sergio Gerrard to Man City. Mohamed Salah to Liverpool. I Honestly, Reese, do you have any other, like, ideas? Alan Shearer to Blackburn. Cantona at Manchester United, Conte at Leicester, I think, I don't know if you mentioned, Drogba at Chelsea is a big one. Ooh, um, yeah, you said Shearer at Blackburn, that's definitely a good show. But Bruno Fernandes is up oh, there. So we, we just rolled over, walked past Virgil van Dijk at Liverpool. Um, we just we just completely side-footed that? Or? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, come I on, mean, guys. Come on. What? 
Bruno Fernandez's fee was like 45 million. I forget exactly what it was, but Van Dyke's was like tw- twice as much as Bruno Fernandez. I'm really bad at math, but <laughs> I th- like the the price that they got him for, and then he comes in and just completely revolutionizes their attack. He's been their best player since Wayne Rooney, absolutely. So I think he has been definitely transformative, and I think he yes. is in the conversation. He's, I mean, if if we were to talk about the most the top five most transformative transfers in the Premier League since the 2010s, top five. I would definitely put him there, right? But this is in Premier League ever, and he definitely would not be in my top five. He would, I would probably just put him right at, I don't know, top 10, 10th, 9th, because I can just name you so many players and how they've changed the team. For example, Sergio Aguero, in his first season Man City, he scored the game winning goal, right? Against QPR. He won them their first yeah. title ever. Ronaldo to Manchester United's different story. Thierry Henry has won many golden boots. Um, I'm a big Mohamed Salah fan, um, but honestly, he Salah deserves to be named as more transformative than Bruno Fernandes for sure. I mean, first season, he's won PFA Player of the Year. He's got 32 goals. He broke the, the record, right? Yeah, Equal the record. Yeah, Liverpool were what? 7th, 6th, 7th place every season right under Jurgen Klopp. Um, up until Mohamed Salah came in, you know, they got into the UCL final. Yes, that's the Champions League. I, I understand it's not Premier League, but... <laughs> Do you understand how your math doesn't add up there? <laughs> Liverpool were seventh every single season, and then Mohamed came in, and they almost won the Champions League. Do you understand how that doesn't Oh, work? no, I got, I got my facts wrong. I'm sorry. All right. So in the 2016-17 season, they got fourth. All right, because... Yeah, Sadio Mane. Yeah, Sadio Mane. Okay, <laughs> Yeah, because Mane was on fire. So, wait, wait. So, we were just straight, again, VVD just straight, like, jumping over that. They hadn't won anything before him. Let's just also just put that out there. He came in, and he won everything. He was. I So, Risa, I agree that he was what? He was. So, Bruno Fernandes, I just looked at this up. Bruno Fernandes was uh, cost 47, 48 uh, million pounds. And VVD cost 75. But it wasn't like, and both, but both of them were playing at, like, average clubs you know sporting lisbon and southampton it's not like they were bought superstars they were they were sort of made superstars so i mean if we're talking about a bigger impact it's got to be Virgil van dyke it has to be i mean he's won more i mean if 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 we didn't know this before uh we definitely know it with this season look at where liverpool are <laughs> we're, we're gonna finish bottom half of the table <laughs> probably below arsenal <laughs> without him and like i just you know um in the 2018-19 season in the premier league um, Manchester United, they got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer halfway through, right? They they got sixty six points, and then in the next season, twenty nineteen twenty, they also got sixty six points. So I get it; it's a team sport, but it's still you know what has Bruno Fernandez been the most transformative transfer like more than Virgil Van Dijk? Definitely not, right? I I hundred percent agree with you. Virgil Van Dijk is one of the most transformative transfers, right? Yeah, Sakadir, I know you're going to be listening to this, so I'm just going to say we definitely want to back and forth with you and Russell, so definitely comment on this episode and tell us what you feel about Well, that's the thing, too, because you guys are both Liverpool fans, and maybe Sakadir is on my train with the Manchester United, and he thinks Bruno Fernandes, because honestly, no player has more goals and assists in 2020, right? Yeah. Only Harry Kane was close, I think. Um, in 2021, it's it's pretty much come coming up to the same kind of thing. It's like Harry Kane... Bruno Fernandez in this sort of battle for most goals plus assists. Like, he is very, very impactful. Obviously, it was just a penalty kick today, but like I said, I think he was very positive in the match as well. Yeah, no player has had more goals and assists combined than him since he's joined the league. So, yes, definitely he's, again, one of the most 
let's say top five. Can we all yeah. agree on top five? Let's agree and give Saad Sa- Sa- an answer. Okay. Yeah, so Saad, sure. we are we agreeing that he's top five possibly, but definitely not the most uh, transformative player. And I'm going to go with you, Sakadir. Bruno Fernandes, most transformative Premier League player of all time. I love a big statement, wow. so I'm going to agree with you, Sakadir. But speaking of Virgil van Dijk and how Liverpool have missed him so much, another big loss today up against relegation contenders Fulham, who did play very well, to be fair. I guess first up, you guys being both Liverpool fans, Russell, what was Liverpool's main problem today? I keep going back on injuries, but I'm going to stop doing that. Honestly, we just can't score. We're just we're just bad. Um, yeah, no, we've been over-reliant on Mohamed Salah, number one, followed by Mane and Firmino. So because we can't get goals, eventually we're going to get scored on. Our defense is also pretty weak. And actually, ironically, Salah was um, at fault, right? I think he, he got the ball. He tried to control it instead of clearing it out. Um, and then the Fulham striker took it from him. And it was an amazing shot. It was a goal. I also think another part of their problem, which could be debatable, is that especially them losing six games in a row in Anfield, I think it shows that they are probably relying on their fans as well. I mean, we've always heard the term or the phrase, Anfield is a fortress, right? Especially when um, they've got so many games unbeaten or winning streaks in Anfield, and especially when they beat Barca 4-0 in Anfield on that night. I'm starting to think it's because of their fans. I, I think that's a pretty fair statement to make. Um, as we can see, right now, there are no fans at all. It's kind of dry, and you know they don't really have that 12th men. And as a fan, you can, for somebody who watches them day in, day out, I know the, the feeling when, you know, it's the 75th minute, we're down 1-0 against, I think it was Aston Villa. Or was it Palace? One of the two. And still, I thought we'd win. It was 90th minute and uh, we were down 1-0 and I still thought we would win. And Robbo scored a goal and Mane scored a goal from a corner. Um, and that feeling is just gone. And you know when that feeling just goes and you have no idea where the next goal is coming from, you're heavily in trouble, right? Last season, there was a lot of commentary on how nobody else chips in and goals and the assists have to come from out wide. And that's sort of just caught up to us, honestly. And uh, one of the main things that I think not enough people are talking about is how Jurgen Klopp does not have a plan B. Jurgen Klopp never had a plan B, but Jurgen Klopp, we can see, does not have a plan B right now. And that's really hurting us. Yeah, it, it was kind of frustrating to see so many starting players start on the bench as well. Obviously, they have a big game in the Champions League coming up against Leipzig on Wednesday. I believe. Was it the right time to rest players, Russell, or did he not really need to because they're already 2-0 up on aggregate over Leipzig? He, In my opinion, he did not have to rest players. Liverpool are, yes, I agree with you, 2-0 up against Leipzig, so they didn't have to. It really is just shocking to see the club in such disarray. Even a club like Fulham, who are still in the relegation zone right now, just looked completely superior to them. And I did a Fulham tactical analysis about a month ago. Um, I've been really impressed with them in recent months. I don't know whether you guys have any strong takes on Fulham and whether or not they can survive relegation. I personally love the way they play, but I think that's also one of the reasons they might not survive relegation. Uh, I know they're 10 games unbeaten. Just the fact that they can be really open sometimes with their play, that could lead to their demise. They're a very good possession-based team, like you say. I do think they've become better with 
leaving themselves less exposed. They become like a very aggressive defensive team. They almost play like 11 Scott Parkers, which is very interesting to me. Um, and I just kind of really admire like how aggressive they actually are in defense and how defensively organized they are. You look at both teams back fours, like I would take Joakim Anderson over Nat Phillips. I would take Tosin Adarabio over, I did not say that right, Tosin Adarabio over Reese Williams. I would probably take um, Kenny Tete over Nico Williams. The only one I wouldn't is Andy Robertson over um, really anyone they could have started there, either Anthony Robinson or Ola Aina. So, like, you're already starting the game with three out of four players being better in the back four. It's not really looking like it's going to be the best day already when the match starts. So it was it was interesting, the decision to rest players. And Fulham are playing very well. And they could now, with this big win, sort of propel themselves into better times with Newcastle, especially on the slump. So we'll have to see as things move along. Like, I understand every team is beating Liverpool right now, but I think that is a huge statement. And I think Fulham have what it takes to survive relegation. So who do you think they're going to jump ahead of? I think it's most likely Brighton. I would have guessed Newcastle. I love how the bottom half teams, when you watch them play, and if they're up for a fight, they don't look like bottom half teams, which is which makes this league even better. They don't just sit back. I mean, you look at Brighton. I am scared of playing Brighton. If they if they click into gear, I, they can they can score goals. But that's what's kind of cool about this sort of relegation battle is that Fulham, you have Sheffield, you have Brighton. All of these teams can play expansive football and score goals. Just for the record, I think Fulham will be relegated. But if anyone's going to get drawn into it. I definitely don't think it's going to be Brighton. I think it would be Newcastle. And obviously, I don't think it's going to be Burnley. So I, I, there's really only Newcastle. But shall we move on to Champions League now? Because I, I think, Russell in particular, you want to talk about Porto and Juve. Here's what I think. Um, in the first leg, both teams were pretty similar. Uh, Juventus definitely dominated possession, and they've had more shots and shots on target. But in terms of creating real chances, Juventus actually never created a real chance up until the point that Chiesa scored, which is like the 80th minute, uh, if I can remember. Um, I think what Porto have to do is definitely get the first goal so that they can kind of relax. I think if Juventus gets the first goal, I think it's pretty much set. Um, I think Juventus will go through. Yeah, they've kind of been on a good run since that defeat. They've only drawn one of their four matches and then they won the other three scoring three goals each time and a big win last saturday against lazio so that's kind of put them sort of back on track in the Serie A title race although it does look like inter milan is starting to run away with it a bit i agree that i think it's going to be a very interesting match and that juve might have the upper hand but i would just love the underdog story of porto going through to the next round so I, I think Porto have it in them to make it happen. And I think Pirlo does not have enough managerial experience. I think he has it in him to give that team pep talk. I mean, you have Cristiano Ronaldo playing, who's the top scorer in Champions League ever, or like Mr. Champions League with you. I think it would be wild for them to not go through, especially because they're only 2-1 down, which is not which is not too much. They have delict potentially coming back, Chiellini coming back, Bonucci and Arthur potentially starting as well. I would go with Juventus going through 2-1 again on their behalf. I'm going to go 2-1 Porto. I'm going to go 1-1 Porto. 
in Juventus, 1-1. So, Porto go through. Didn't you just say, Russell, that you think Juventus are going to go through? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty biased. Like, I, I want... Yeah, like, I, I definitely want Porto to go through. Um, you know, so... So, you think Porto are going to go through? That's what I'm saying. It's 1-1. But, it, honestly, it's, it's so hard to tell. All right, man. 1-1. Porto goes through. Draw. Porto goes through. There it is. So... Will it be Costi who is correct or Russell and I? We'll have to see. Let us know your thoughts on whether Porto or Juventus are going to go through to the next round. Do we want to quickly talk about Dortmund-Sevilla? Dortmund have kind of struggled with losing their three best players in recent matches. They had a big win in the cup last week. um, Unfortunately, at the cost of injuries to Guerrero and Sancho. And then this past week, Boateng just completely destroyed Erwin Holland's Achilles. It looks like he's going to be okay, but definitely a nasty little injury that he picked up. Are Dortmund going to be able to cope, Russell, without these three players if they had to go without all three of them? Uh, in my opinion, I think they can cope uh, without these three. I think what makes a difference for the next game is Dortmund's defense. They have three away goals. It's a lot. Um, even if Sevilla wins 1-0 or 2-1, Dortmund goes through. I think what makes the, dif- the difference is the defense, definitely. So I think Dortmund can cope without them. Um, if Dortmund can sort out the, their defense and let in as much goals as possible, I think they'll go through. That's the problem, though, because Dortmund haven't been able to sort out their defense for the last, well, since Jurgen Klopp was in charge. Um, so it's a big issue, and I'm definitely, I'm definitely worried about that last goal that Sevilla got in the final minutes of, of the last game. Um, Kosti... Any any thoughts here on if Erling Holland is going to be able to come back in time and whether or not Borussia Dortmund can make the difference? So from what the what the news stories are, it looks like Erling Holland will be back. I just don't see them being defensively solid. So I think it's going to be a tough task to for them to sort of cope up with uh, Sevilla and their 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 press there. But uh, I I really don't have any strong opinions here, just because three two is such a balance sort of thing i i'm not quite sure and Sevilla's pretty good at home so yeah it was like the first time in months that i was excited to watch Borussia dortmund and then they started the game so well against bayern munich and then Lewandowski just did his thing and it was over <laughs> within the blink of an eye for so two sad. so it was it was very disappointing what happened at the weekend but they were on a very good run that Sevilla game really just lifted their spirits they went three games in a row after that against schalke armenia belfield and motion gladback without conceding a single goal. Do we have a score prediction for this one? I'm I'm leaning towards Dortmund just because I, I would like them to go through, but I think they will for sure ship goals and they will need to score themselves and they will be hoping Holland is okay for this match. So I'm going to go 3-2 Dortmund. I'm going to go 3-1 Sevilla. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Russell? Just because you said that Bruno Fernandes is the most transformative player, <laughs> I have to go 3-1 Sevilla. I think I'm going to give a modest score, 1-1 again. Okay, 1-1 would put us through, so I'm happy with that. The thing is, like, without Sancho, you can kind of cope. I know he's, like, unbelievable, but you still have Brandt, you still have Hazard. Uh, without Guerrero, is like, actually a nightmare. Nico Scholes is nowhere near as good, neither is Felix Pagelsock. So it's going to be very difficult, um, but I am happy, Russell, that you're on my side here. To end off our show, there was some big news this week coming out from FIFA with Arsene Wenger pulling together some different interpretations of the offside rule moving forward that he presented to Infantino and might actually end up taking place in the coming months, years to come if it goes through. 
Um, so essentially, what Wenger's proposal was, was that any player who is has any part of their body that is level with the defender in an offside call will be given from now on onside if this proposal goes through. I think it's great. I think it would be excellent and allow us to go back to the way things were before when goals were given to the benefit of the attacker rather than the benefit of the defender. Um, but Costi, I know you have some strong opinions on this. So what are your thoughts here? All right. So this is this is definitely a very interesting question and it has sort of like the both both the technical aspects of the game and your sort of philosophical, historical aspects of the game to address. So this rule is being tried in an unnamed league in China. Um, and uh, like Reese said, it's any part of your body that you can score with. If it's level with the last defender, you get onside. I mean, so let's, let's think about this, right? Um, the way you defend right now, and as a defender, uh, I can say that I look at the person next to me and try and stay either behind them if they're faster than me or if they're not level with them, right? But now with this new change in mind, I'm going to have to completely change the way I defend. And is that going to happen? Is, does that really, does, is that really necessary? Is that really necessary that we introduce a new system which has the same problem as this system with marginal calls? VAR is still going to exist with this system and have marginal calls where you're going to have the millimeters and centimeters and nanometers differences, right? It's going to be somebody sitting at Stockley Park uh, drawing those lines manually oh, and deciding yeah. who's onside and who's offside. Doesn't really do much for the game. I think everybody's going to be still equally pissed off, maybe in the wrong direction now or something like that. But people are still going to be pissed off about those millimeter offsides. We're going to see more goals for sure, but defenders are going to have to defend drastically differently which is why i think the way we should we should do offside and this is not uh, this is this is just my opinion is that we need to define a threshold up to which offsides are okay so if it's by a nanometer then your if it's if it's something like that which is like so marginal then the ruling should go to the uh to the based on your sort of line referees i think yeah i i really do disagree with you i understand what you're saying as like a defender yourself and you're thinking about the ramifications for you playing but it really is just going back to the way things were before when if you were level there were no lines you are on side and I think that is what every football fan... I don't know anyone who wants to see goals disallowed like Timo Werner's. Like, there was a goal in the Women's World Cup that always stands out to me for some reason because it was like, I'm pretty sure she was onside and they gave it offside without like actually looking at it properly, which was Bar Barbara Bonasea's goal in the World Women's World Cup of 2019. Like, these examples are just excellent goals that should stand. No one wants to see them disallowed. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's what I said. So it's going to be a lot of goals, but there's still going to be those marginal decisions where somebody's toe, is it on in line? Are we going to draw this? Are we going to see nanometers? I mean, so people have come to be okay with the fact that if the ball is not completely over the line, it's not a goal based on goal light technology. And I'm pretty sure that's why Liverpool didn't win the league in 2018-19, was it? Against City when Sadio Mane's goal didn't count. So I think solely people will be okay with it. So it's honestly just preference. And I, I prefer that in marginal situations like this, it's the on-field referee that should choose, right? Whether it should be given as onside or offside. Um, and whether it's marginal towards attacking side, where it's like, if you're 
in line like the rc wenger's rule says uh or this rule it doesn't really matter to me i guess that's my that's my thinking around i just it. think the most important thing if it does change is just to keep it as as objective as possible um so when someone's upside make it clear like the lines yes because you understand when you talk about nanometers and stuff i'm okay with it the lines are just so frustrating i wish they would just i wish var would just take the lines off and just do it with the eye and if it's too close to call it i'd really just wish it was given onside looking at the liverpool chelsea game there was a red line drawn for timo Werner, and there was a blue line drawn for whoever it was andy robertson or whatever that just like that makes no sense like what are they doing and my most biggest frustration with this is that and i'm an i'm an ai guy so i know that this can be done using technology so this can be done using your uh, artificial intelligence and these things called cnns but why is somebody sitting there pretending to be a graphic designer designing lines on this that just doesn't make sense to me buddy you're not a graphic designer let's calm down you're a referee you're in no position to draw vertical 3d lines on a on a computer i'm sorry that's not okay yeah it'll be very interesting to see what way this rule goes i honestly don't think there would be any major ramifications and i don't see any reason why they wouldn't go for this so i i am very interested to hear a person like you cost you say so much against it um even though you are slightly indifferent toward it as well and i understand that but yeah i i would be interested to hear other people's thoughts on this too and what they think of the offside rule just because to me it's like a no-brainer it's like why wouldn't you do this everyone should be on the same page about this but yeah do we want to before we go do we want to just quickly say any words about rangers winning the scottish premier league Oh, nice. This was, I think, a question by uh, at John Adonapala from Instagram. Thanks for the question, John. Um, so we're both, uh, Russell and I both are Liverpool fans, so we're obviously Steven Gerrard fanboys. I'm guessing, Russell, I think we've talked about this. So I'm just going to put this, put you in this bucket too. And I'm just happy that the dude finally won a league title. I mean, he went to, <laughs> he went from England to the US and back to England with our under 18s uh, and under 23s. And now in the SPL, I'm so happy that he brought the Rangers their first title in 10 years, their 55th title overall, with uh, competing against a Celtic team that always gets all the highlight and the limelight. And they're doing really well in the Europa too. So I'm just uh, very happy for Steven Jarrett. And I'm reading his book right now, so I feel more and more connected to him. Just like I really feel like I know him. So I'm just going to say happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool to see Steven Jarrett win a title i definitely think he has a bright managerial career ahead of him there was a goalkeeper by the way in the dundee united celtic match today that was just like unbelievable i don't know how many saves he made but it was like unbelievable yeah 12 saves today um to keep celtic from scoring and help rangers win that title today so well done to that keeper and obviously rangers for the whole season because it was inevitable that they were going to win for a very long time now uh russell any quick thoughts on rangers yeah they i think they prevented celtic from winning the 10th title in a row which is amazing for sure um i think steven jarrett has what it takes to manage a team in the premier league liverpool next liverpool manager you know to be honest i think he should start off with um you know a club like i don't know um newcastle or something not not your Liverpool in the championship according to costi not in the front <laughs> <laughs> um, you know Southampton stuff like that I think I don't think Steven Gerrard is as ready to take on a team like Liverpool I think right now managing Liverpool is extremely difficult because of what we're going through 
Yeah, but I, I don't think uh, the plan is to bring Jared um, in right now. It's it's always after Klopp, after 2024, when his deal expires. And he's been very vocal about the fact that he wants to take some sabbatical again before deciding his next move. So, And I was having this conversation today, actually, with at Gaurav Lath on Instagram. He's one of my friends and a very, very staunch United fan. So obviously, we're both biased. But uh, I, I don't think it'll do him any justice if he manages Newcastle in the Premier League, maybe maybe some team in the Championship and then gets promoted with them to see show what he's made of. But otherwise, I think, you know what, like Zidane did well and he managed Real Madrid straight away. Um, and he obviously, based on that, Jared has amazing... Um, articling as you if you were like he has amazing internships right with the rangers and the liverpool under 23 side so i say in 2024 if he's only been with rangers or he's managed some side i think we need to bring him on okay we will have to see future liverpool manager perhaps steven jared winning the scottish premier league with rangers very exciting stuff so that'll be that for today very great to have you costi and russell as always it was so great to hear all of your questions for this show. So thank you so much to everyone who submitted a question. Uh, if we didn't get to your question today, we might keep it in mind for a future show. And I'm also going to be doing a monthly Q&A each month in our monthly magazine. So make sure you're a subscriber of the mastermindsite.com to get access to that. And I can answer all of your questions that have come up throughout the month that we don't get to on this show. You can, of course, find me at Desmond Reese on both Twitter and Instagram and at MastermindSite on Twitter and Instagram as well. Costi, where can people find you and do you have any thoughts to finish up the show? Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for the support. Uh, it's been awesome the kind of support everyone's shown, at least on the previous episodes, and I hope that'll continue. Uh, continue sending in, in your question. It makes up for a great conversation with you guys and also on the show. You can find me on at I hate Winchell on Instagram. Uh, please uh, let me know what you guys think about the show and how we can improve this. Russell, where can people find you? And do you also hate Winchell? <laughs> <laughs> I do hate Winchell. I hate I hate Winchell. Um, yeah, you can find me at Russell Toe ninety six. That's R U S S E L L T H O ninety six. I also just want to say thank you so much. Um, we definitely enjoy doing this. We want to do this for the many weeks to come. Uh, please feel free to give me and us feedback. Um, whenever you can thank you so much everyone for listening we hope to see you back for next week's show have a good one and goodbye